Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, the images of Ukrainians fleeing the ravages of war are heartbreaking, and the natural reaction is to want to do whatever we can to help. But how? Also this morning, to your health, this weekend's taste of warm weather was a reminder that before too long, we'll all be coming out of hibernation and getting active again. We'll talk about how to prevent injuries associated with spring sports and physical activity. And March is Frozen Food Month. Celebrity chef Jamie Gwen has some fresh ideas for incorporating frozen food into your healthy diet. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, March 8th, 2022. So if you need a reason to celebrate today... It is International Women's Day. It is also Girls' Right Now Day. Uh, Right as in W-R-I-T-E. Writing it down. Girls' Right Now Day. National Be Nasty Day. Why would you want to do that? Be nasty? If you you have a proclivity to be nasty, though, I guess today is the day that you have an excuse for that. It is National Proofreading Day and National Peanut Cluster Day today as well. So, there you go. reasons to uh, celebrate. So, this survey of uh, 2,000 adults, one poll, uh, they asked, what, was, what is the saddest song of all time? And REM's Everybody Hurts, 1992, the saddest song in all of recorded history, according to this uh, poll. Now, I don't know... I would be interested to to see. I don't know what the um, generational breakdown uh, breakdown of these uh, adults in the survey are. I mean, how many of them are millennials? How many Gen Z? How many generate uh, Gen Xers? How many baby boomers do they ask? Because I would imagine that your response would have a lot to do with the era of music that you are most familiar with. And it does not, at least not in the report that I see, uh, it does not break down the ages of those in the poll. But overall, Everybody Hurts by R.E.M., the saddest song of all time, followed closely by Sinead O'Connor's Nothing Compares to You and Tears in Heaven by Eric Clapton. Uh, So, you know, the late 80s to mid 90s, very well represented on this list here coming in fourth was Whitney Houston's I will always love you and the only true classic song uh, in the uh, top five was yesterday by the Beatles was uh, number five so kind of interesting all the others were in that you know particular era the Late 80s to, what, maybe mid to late 90s. Uh, But uh, yesterday by the Beatles uh, was number five. And uh, again, 36% of those in the survey said that they listen to sad songs when they're feeling nostalgic. 24% say uh, right after a breakup, they listen to sad songs, which is understandable. But I thought it was really interesting. Just under half of those in the survey said a sad song can actually brighten their day. Maybe because it makes them feel like they are not alone in their sadness. I'm not sure. But uh, sad songs can actually make you feel better. 
Uh, they didn't just ask about sad songs either. In other categories, uh, Don't Stop Me Now by Queen, Dancing Queen by ABBA, and Walking on Sunshine by Katrina and the Waves were the happiest songs named in the survey. Uh, Survivor's Eye of the Tiger and Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive, along with I'm Still Standing by Elton John, named the most motivational songs and the most relaxing songs were What a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong and Let It Be by The Beatles. Uh, the Fab Four making a couple of appearances on that uh, list in various categories. So the most relaxing songs uh, of the uh, ones in the survey. So kind of. And again, I also don't know whether this was a an open-ended poll, whether they just asked people, you know, what's the saddest song of all time and then just. Whatever they said, or did they give them a multiple choice list? I don't know. But uh, in any event, uh, it does appear that Americans do love a good dose of drama in the form of a song. And this is a, uh, a separate poll uh, asked, asked people uh, when it comes to when it comes to breakups, it is especially. It is especially uh, popular. Almost three quarters of Americans say they either like uh, drama in a song or love it. 36% said that they like uh, drama-filled songs. 38% say they love it when musicians write about their lives, breakups included. That is, uh, according to this uh, this poll, um uh, and that was across fans of all genres. Well, that was kind of interesting. So we like it when Taylor Swift writes about her ex-boyfriends, apparently. That's, that's very popular. And uh, speaking of music, among the first things you need to know this morning, some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Have you ever wondered what kind of music your dog likes? A new study analyzed the top sleep playlists on Spotify to find the best sounds to send your doggy to dreamland. And they found in this research, very scientific research, the top artists for lulling puppies to sleep are Ed Sheeran, Taylor Swift, and John Mayer. Those are the ones. If you want to get your, your dog to settle down and go to sleep, those are the artists to play. Uh, the most relaxing music to dogs is acoustic and instrumental music. Researchers also looked at the music most likely to make humans sleepy and found artists like The Weeknd, Drake, and One Direction in the top three, which I would not have guessed on any of those that they would be the ones most likely to make a sleepy. Experts, by the way, uh, with respect to uh, getting your puppy to sleep, experts say an eight-week-old puppy should sleep 18 to 20 hours a day. 18 to 20 hours a day. That's a lot of Ed Sheeran, Taylor Swift, and John Mayer. If you, and I'm not sure if I can <laughs> handle that much. But uh, uh, Let's see. By the way, speaking of music and nostalgia, Sony has announced that they are releasing two new Walkman music players. Remember the Walkman? Everybody had to have a Walkman back in the 80s. 
and was the original portable music player. And now for the audiophile with an eye for nostalgia and some deep pockets, uh, there are two new music players, the Walkman NWWM1AM2 and NWWM1ZM2, are priced at $1,600 and $3,200, respectively. The more affordable of the two uh, features an extremely strong aluminum alloy frame that resists electrical noise and other interference while delivering high-quality sound. The $3,200 model is made with a 99.99% purity gold-plated oxygen-free copper chassis, prioritizing nuanced sound for a premium listening experience. So, I'm guessing these are not cassette players. That is never a premium listening experience. But I remember the Walkman. Everybody had to have the Walkman. That was uh, the... uh, personal accessory that you just had to have back in the 80s. <laughs> now, if you can afford it, you can uh, take that up to the next level here. And Of course, the uh, big story, I kind of got off on this uh, tangent of music here, but uh, the big story to start your day, the one that everybody is talking about, as you wake up this morning uh, and head off to work or wherever you're going, Uh, you're going to notice that it is going to cost you a lot more to get where you're going. Chances are you are already experiencing some measure of pain at the pump, even before all of this happened with Russia and Ukraine. But the chaos there has sent gas prices in this country to a record high. According to Gas Buddy, prices have spiked 49 cents in just the past week. And... This is uh, just three years after the Institute for Energy Research and Energy Information Administration declared America had become energy independent for the first time since 1957. So it just shows how things can change very quickly in the world we live in. Uh, This is the largest increase in a seven-day period of all time. 49 cents, that's the national average, up 49 cents in the past week. Largest increase in a seven-day period of all time. And these are not records that you want to boast about, but this is where we are. This is even even faster rising prices than the price spike caused when Hurricane Katrina devastated the Gulf Coast and all of the gas refineries and refining capacity uh, in 2005. And that is when we first saw gas prices jump over $2 a gallon. And we were all up in arms thinking, $2 a gallon, this is ridiculous. And uh, they've pretty much stayed there ever since. Patrick DeHaan, head of petroleum analysis, Gas Buddy, says Americans have never seen gasoline prices this high, nor have we seen the pace of increases so fast and furious. It is a dire situation, he says, and it will not improve anytime soon. So prepare yourself. The high prices likely to stick around, he says, not just for days or weeks like they did in 2008, the last time we flirted with the $4 a gallon mark. But he said this could take months to sort out. Gas Buddy now expects the yearly national average to hit the highest ever recorded 
in 2022. So it's a good thing it's uh, warming up and we can get our bicyclists out again. I think that's... <laughs> in any event, we, we should go back to remote working because... I mean, I was thinking about this this morning as I was driving into the studio. Every day that I drive to the studio is going to cost me like five, six bucks. <laughs> I mean, we don't think about it in those terms, but it costs you, you know, the the your daily commute uh, could cost you 40 bucks a week. Uh, but anyway, so uh, there you go. Uh, most interesting and uh, buzzworthy. I didn't say the, the best stories of the day. The interest, most interesting and buzzworthy stories uh, to get your Tuesday morning started. <laughs> WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, partly sunny skies today with a high of 41, partly cloudy tonight, a low of 31. It's been one year since the death of a BGSU student that resulted in tougher hazing laws in Ohio. Stone Fultz was hospitalized on March 4th, 2021 and died on March 7th. He was at an off-campus event for the Pi Kappa Alpha Fraternity at Bowling Green State University. Stone's parents and two siblings now speak at schools. They want to ensure another family doesn't suffer the way they are. We would not stop until we can eradicate hazing altogether because this is not the way any parent wants to live or any siblings want to live. ONN's Lacey Chris reporting. So far, two of the seven men charged in connection with Fultz's death have pleaded guilty to charges. The University of Finley is inviting the campus and local community to participate in the absolutely incredible Kid Day letter writing campaign. People are invited to write a letter to a local child who could really benefit from a letter of encouragement. The chair of the event, Morgan Kuhlman, is a junior in early childhood education at UF and says she's seen firsthand the positive impact that a handwritten letter can have on a child. The event is coming up on Thursday at UF. Get more details on the website. Republicans at the Ohio State House have proposed legislation that would prohibit villages, cities, and other local governments from banning short-term rentals in their communities. The bill is aimed at housing options offered by companies such as Airbnb or vacation stay company Verbo. Co-sponsor of the bill is Representative Sarah Fowler-Arthur, a Republican from Ashtabula in Northeast Ohio. She says the measure protects the rights of private property owners. The bill has the backing of the Ohio Chamber of Commerce and multiple short-term rental owners. The Ohio Municipal League opposes the legislation, saying it violates constitutional home rule powers. Dave James, ONN News. A new bill under consideration at the State House would rename a portion of State Route 315 in Columbus after Ohio State and Olympic legend Jesse Owens. The bill would rename a section of 315 that runs through downtown as Jesse Owens Memorial Highway. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Well, I got a taste of that beautiful spring-like weather over the weekend, and even though it didn't last... It is a reminder that it won't be long before we are getting outdoors and more active again. And with all of that activity comes the risk of injury. Dr. Jim Davidson is a part of the team at Blanchard Valley Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. And Dr. Davidson, obviously there are an awful lot of ways that we can hurt ourselves as we start to come out of hibernation this time of year. I want to start with preventing injuries in youth sports because I know that a lot of kids have already started those team activities and practices ahead of the spring sports season some uh, have actually started their spring sports season so what are the types of of injuries that you most commonly see among youth well chris naturally the the athletes that are young 
um, they have open growth plates and naturally that makes them more susceptible to not only the fractures and sprains and strains, but also overuse injuries as it relates to their growth plates. Because of that open growth plate and still uh, growing, typically girls until the age of 15 and boys to the age of 17, certainly moderating repetitions and the number of exposures that they get to uh, these overuse injuries is going to help. So we see very often that these teenage and sometimes younger athletes are playing multiple sports at a time. And because they're doing that, that certainly puts them at risk for injuries to the growth plates and overuse conditions. Yeah, I was going to say, with with kids getting involved in sports at younger ages, important to point out that age is not really a factor here. In fact, you can not only get hurt just as easily, uh, but even in some cases more easily uh, the younger you go. For sure. And again, it's, um, you know, naturally there are certain pitch counts and and repetitions and that kind of thing that we at Blanchard Valley Orthopedics and Sports Medicine can help with uh, titrating for that particular athlete so that they know they're not getting too many exposures, say on a week by week basis. So we say, for example, you've got a, a throwing athlete playing baseball who's playing not only on a local team, but also on a travel team. Mm-hmm. You have to take into consideration those cumulative pitch counts and throwing counts into uh, their risk of injury. As as one example, and I know uh, sometimes there is this mindset that uh, you know kids will recover quicker uh, from an injury than will adults, and we kind of get that mindset that maybe then that it's not as serious. And yes, kids can recover, but that doesn't mean that we're not talking about the potential for serious injury. So, what is the what is the best way to prevent those? Well, I think certainly making sure that that the athlete is getting periods of rest in between sporting seasons. You look at a professional athlete, and even though they're professional, they may do their sport nine to ten months of the year. They still take a period of time, say in that two to three month rest period, where they're not now. They're still working out and maintaining their conditioning, Mm -hmm. but they're cross-training. They're doing things that are not going to put them at the same risk of overuse injury. And so by moderating the number of teams, the number of repetitions, and the length of time that the athlete is competing during the year, I think that's the safest way to avoid some of these overuse conditions for the growing athlete. Once we get into uh, the the season, obviously, you know, we, we hear all the time the importance of uh, stretching and warming up and, you know, all of those sort of pre-activity rituals. Uh, obviously, that is, you're not just going through the motions. And again, sometimes kids feel like you're just kind of going through the motions, but that is an important part of preventing injury, right? For sure. And again, and just gradually increasing your repetition. So starting out low and work your way into it. But when you said you were talking about stretching and warming up, we know that stretching and warming up a joint and uh, and a muscle is actually easier to stretch a warm muscle and a warm joint than it is one that's not been, uh, that's just coming off cold, just right off of the um, getting, you know, getting there or arriving at the sporting field. So Mm -hmm. it's important to, 
jog a bit or get a little bit of uh, blood flowing through those muscles and joints and then do your stretching. It's going to be a lot more effective that way. Okay. So uh, getting that proper pre-game or pre-activity routine and then it's it it is pretty common even among kids to have uh, a slight pain or or some muscle fatigue either during or after physical activity. How do we know if it's something that can be dealt with by taking it easy or quote unquote playing through the pain? I know there's that uh, that that mindset sometimes or when it's something that we need to see a professional and and have that evaluated and, and maybe get on some sort of rehab uh, plan? That's an excellent question. And sometimes it's difficult because naturally, even with like, say, for example, a fracture, a child, because they have a much thicker lining to their bone is not going to swell as much as what an adult would be. And they're mm. still going to be able to use the joint. And so, using uh, caution and uh, coming in and getting an evaluation is certainly important. I think the the hallmark finding of certainly having swelling in a joint, so if you actually have fluid in a joint, for example, a knee joint or an elbow joint that's limiting motion, that's never growing pain. That's never something that's just going to go away, and it's, not, it's something that should always be evaluated by a healthcare practitioner whenever you have a growing child that has swelling in a particular joint. There are certain locations that are prone to overuse and and repetitive injury to a growth plate. Say for example, the elbow, again, uh, that example of little leaguer's elbow, Mm -hmm. a shoulder in a throwing athlete, again, a knee, the front of the knee or around the the, uh, patella or kneecap, all those are areas of frequent pain and growing pains or uh, inflammation to a growth plate. Those are common and naturally if they don't go away, they should be evaluated. But anytime again that you have swelling in a particular joint or that you have a limping child, it's definitely important to be evaluated. And of course, uh, it's not just kids. We grown-ups are going to be uh, getting back outdoors, maybe getting on the bicycle, even hitting the gym after the pandemic. Uh, is the is the advice much the same, or are there is there different guidance for different age groups, activity levels, types of activity, that kind of thing? Well, certainly um, the the point that you made about stretching and getting warmed up before you participate in an activity is important. Adults again definitely can be injured, and we find that orthopedic tissues again bones joints ligaments, tendons, muscles, all have elasticity to them. They all are made to absorb energy. And naturally, if those are warmer, they're able to uh, accommodate energy uh, and absorb energy more readily. The problem, again, that we see is that many more of these high-intensity workouts are becoming more ballistic, where they're rapid loading and they're not getting, people are not getting adequate rest or hydration in between. And those bones, ligaments, tendons, and muscles are not able to absorb energy the way that they were when they were, say, 17 or 18 years of age. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes people more at risk for injury or some of these ballistic, ballistic high um, repetition, high loading activities that are trendy now and are certainly effective for training, but it has to be done in the right setting and it has to be done the proper way. 
So the long and short of it is uh, that it's always a good idea to uh, get some advice going in uh, as to what activity level is appropriate for your situation and, you know, uh, kind of getting on a plan. I mean, again, these are this is advice that we've heard time and time again, but just to emphasize uh, how important this is and with respect to dealing with uh, injuries, uh, when in doubt, uh, get it checked out is basically, I guess, the uh, long and short of it. Great. There are there are exercise and healthcare professionals at many of these facilities, people that are experienced in setting up these programs, and I think it's just a matter of seeking out their advice or their advice and guidance. Again, just for example, going to 50 North and utilizing some of the services that they have there, those people are very experienced in setting up programs, even at the YMCA or at your local mm-hmm. uh, gym, uh, physical therapy departments, occupational therapy departments, all those places have people that are deal with human physiology and exercise science and all those important components of training. And some of them are just a matter of just going up to the, the, the desk at the facility and asking, saying, hey, can I get some help? It's not expensive. Just say, hey, can I get some help setting up and doing this? And they should have uh, people that are available to set those programs up for you. It's certainly a lot less expensive than dealing with a major injury afterwards. So, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> point yeah, if you're up. coming to see me, it's going to get it's going to be more expensive <laughs> for sure. So. Our physical therapists at our office at Blanchard Valley uh, uh, are also excellent, and uh, they're always uh, more than available to help people, again, get those things set up just by calling the Julie Cole Rehab Facility. And uh, again, a little uh, prevention goes a long way, uh, as with everything uh, health-related. Dr. Jim Davidson, again, Blanchard Valley Orthopedics and Sports Medicine uh, with us this morning uh, with some important reminders as we start to get more active as the spring weather approaches. Dr. Davidson, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Hey, Chris, thanks again, and everybody be safe this spring and summer. We have all seen the images of Ukrainians fleeing their homeland, hundreds of thousands of people leaving behind everything they have to escape advancing Russian uh, invasion. It is heartbreaking, and it is only natural to want to help. Uh, The humanitarian aid organization Direct Relief is coordinating to deliver aid to Ukraine and the surrounding areas. We are joined by Thomas Teig, president and CEO of Direct Relief. And Thomas, yours is primarily a medical aid relief organization. Explain the concern from a medical standpoint for these refugees, especially those with chronic conditions. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, and I, I, you're right. We focus at Direct Relief on um, kind of really the medical material, you know, that's necessary to keep people healthy, prescription medications, general supplies. Um, so I, I think, as you mentioned, people, we see this a lot of times, people with chronic conditions that are well-managed are generally okay if it's diabetes or, you know, um, you have asthma or hypertension, these things are manageable with, with medications. Um, one of the things that's a huge problem in these mass evacuation scenarios is if those conditions become unmanaged where you're, you don't have insulin, you don't have an inhaler, or you don't have your antihypertensive medication, that becomes an acute crisis rather rapidly and can put you in the hospital or kill you. So I think, um, 
this massive disruption of the status quo. Yeah. There's a whole set of issues related to that. But you also have um, a situation in Ukraine where it was relatively low COVID vaccination rates, and they were right in the middle of their spike, you know, the worst hospitalization rate since COVID began, and now this mass evacuation. So, um, you know, the, the, these in, infectious diseases, we spent the past two years as a global community trying to keep each other safe and distant and healthy and be respectful. So the abrupt shift to see, you know, the intentional targeting and to maim or kill other people, I mean, yeah. you know, which is causing them to flee in the worst environment of well, crowded, you know, subterranean subway stations. I mean, it's, it's obviously yeah. the worst place you could do to maintain protection from infectious yeah. disease. And, and, e- and even if you uh, grab the medication on hand that you need, uh, eventually that's going to run out and who knows to be able to get more. So, and, and this has been described as the worst refugee crisis in Europe since World War II. What supplies and medications are most urgently needed? Yeah, I think right right now, I think we're in daily contact with the um, Ukrainian Ministry of Health. Um, it's, it's gone from kind of what we've been talking about, kind of like resupply uh, for the known things. It's, it's completely converted in the last couple of days to like, we need mass trauma supplies uh, hmm. to treat, you know, major injuries, acute care. I mean, they said that they let us know three hospitals have been bombed. There's a lot of mass trauma. So that is, it really, you know, switched from um, kind of just resupply on, on the basics um, to, like, we've got a crisis and in, in, in thousands of injuries, you know, help. So I think we're doing the best we can. Um, we did have a, the first delivery of kind of specialized um, pre-kitted packs that we have that are good for field use, kind of advanced first aid and trauma care in the field. Um those went out uh, earlier this week, were arrived, delivered to the securely to the border where they can be picked up and used by the Ukrainian authorities. But I think those circumstances, just logistics are, are changing. So, but that's definitely what we're seeing. What's needed now is, um, at least from the Ukrainian perspective, is supplies to deal with this new circumstance of being bombed yeah. and having, you know, mass injuries, uh, obviously, in the kind of the, the realm of triage. That's what they're trying to take care of first. But all the mm. background stuff that you were mentioning earlier, obviously, they're aware of, concerned about. But I think for now, it's um, really focused on that urgent uh, injury, mass injury, yeah. mass trauma. We are used to appeals for tornado victims in Kentucky or hurricane victims in Florida. This is an entirely different scenario on a number of levels. Talk a bit about the logistics of getting this aid where it is needed, how long it takes to coordinate, and obviously this is an immediate and growing need, so the the timing of those shipments. You mentioned that the, that the first ones have already gone out and have, all, uh, have already arrived. Talk about the logistics of all of this. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's really easy to ship stuff, you know, to an airport. I mean, but that's not the point, right? For with medications, it's got to get to the right spot so it can be dispensed by a properly trained person. So I think the the challenge of just the, you know, no one's sure like where people are, how many are going to go, how long the roads are going to be open. So that adds to it. But the, the good news is, I mean, DirectLeaf has several hundred million dollars of medical inventory 
in Europe today. We have a, a warehouse in the Netherlands. It's a 14-hour train ride to get to the border of Poland and Ukraine. So, I mean, it's Europe. And so all of Europe isn't affected logistically yet. So, But it's just a um, compromised situation within Ukraine and the pressure it's causing on the border areas. So uh, we're doing everything we can to identify what we think requested items. And the, the, at least the healthcare company has been wonderfully generous saying, look, whatever you need, it's in Europe. Let, let's make a plan together. Mm-hmm. The challenge really is, as you've described, millions of people fleeing both within and, and from Ukraine. And we're not sure where they're going to land. Uh, no one wants to stay in a refugee camp ever, ever, anywhere. So I think they'd much rather stay where there's a cousin or a known person or a friend of a friend. So it's unclear where they're going to, sh- uh, but obviously there's going to be pressure put on, um, you know, as you're receiving millions of uh, people potentially, already over a million, mm-hmm. that's, a, you know, going to be disruptive to the Polish health system, Moldovan health care system, Romanian. And we'll, we're trying to set up, you know, we have some good connections, some less good, um, but we're in a good, at direct relief, we, we work closely with the industry. We can mobilize a lot of specialized medical mater, uh, material and medications. Um, it just, um, an unfolding picture. I mean, two weeks yeah. ago, we could deliver it routinely to Kiev, and now it's like the whole world changed. And, uh, so it's, and, you and- know, we're doing the best we can. Yeah, and can and continues to change uh, as this uh, develops and and continues and devolves. And as you were mentioning earlier, uh, you know you've got the chronic conditions, you've got the acute uh, injuries uh, that that happen as a result of the invasion and and people trying to escape um, COVID nineteen. You've got other contagious diseases that you always have in large refugee populations where people are highly mobile in less right. than ideal conditions so any number of layers of concern here and that brings us back to again that basic question what can we do to help yeah i think just in, in people in uh in the states i think it's, it's kind of overwhelming i think if people are in a position and want to help i think it's important to educate themselves i mean direct relief as, as you can probably tell we're focused on what we do uh, which involves it being an accredited handler and distributor of prescription medications and things like, you know, insulin, which we are the largest provider of charitable insulin in the world. So, you know, we'll focus on the thousands of children in Ukraine um, with type 1 diabetes, but there are so many needs, and, and we don't do uh, a lot of things at Direct Relief. So looking at a charity navigator or a better business bureau that can help advise consumers, like, Look, here's what, here's what groups are doing. Here's uh, our profile of them because they're independent and they'll, they look at things like good governance and transparency and efficiency and fundraising, all that stuff. I think that's important because people are in a position to help, um, inform yourself and make a good decision you'll be proud of. Again, Thomas Tig is uh, President and CEO of Direct Relief, talking about uh, the multitude of efforts to get help to those who need it in and around Ukraine. We'll have a link up on our webpage so folks can learn more about what you are doing, Direct Relief, and how we can help in the larger sense. Thomas, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, the... Uh, ultimate message the overriding message uh is to if you want to want to help support those legitimate 
organizations who are actually doing it because scams pop up whenever uh, big disasters happen, whether they're natural disasters, man-made disasters. Uh, you know that the scam artists are out there uh, trying to so uh, there are a number of vetted organizations uh, which uh, you can support and you can help in their effort to help uh, those in uh, in Ukraine. Uh, direct relief is one, as we were just mentioning, Doctors Without Borders, uh, setting up emergency response activities in Ukraine and Poland and Moldova, Hungary, Romania, Slovakia, even uh, Russia and Belarus, uh, as well, the International Committee of the Red Cross is working closely with the Ukrainian Red Cross uh, to help those affected by the conflict. The Return Alive Foundation arranges life-saving equipment for Ukrainian soldiers and command personnel. Save the Children is a London-based organization that helps deliver life-saving aid to children in Ukraine and around the world. Uh, there is UNICEF, the United Nations Children's Fund, which supports health, nutrition, education, safe drinking water, sanitation, and protection for children and families caught in the conflict. And there's also the United Nations Refugee Agency, uh, which provides emergency assistance to families in and around Ukraine. So that is just a small list of some of the vetted, legitimate organizations that are working to help. And again, you can get more information at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. And of course, uh, they can all use uh, every prayer uh, you can muster uh, for those in uh, and around Ukraine. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news is brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Something, something very strange. There's a woman in Maryland uh, who heard a strange banging noise uh, from her bathroom pipes led her to uh, discover uh, a long-lost item from 10 years ago. Let me uh, start at the beginning here. Uh, Becky Beckman, that is her real name, Becky Beckman uh, of Maryland. I'm not sure exactly where in Maryland she lives. from Maryland. She says she wasn't quite sure where or when it happened, but sometime at some point in October of 2012, her phone went missing. Her iPhone just disappeared. She said it was weird, but it was just gone. And uh, after several days of searching for it, she ended up moving on, replacing it. She said, whatever. You just got a new one. Fast forward to this month. Now, 10 years later, Ms. Beckman and her husband began hearing a banging sound whenever they would flush the toilet. <laughs> you know where this is going, right? Initially, she blamed it on, you know, the toilet being old or old plumbing, you know, whatever. Uh, Becky's husband took a plunger to the toilet and out popped her iPhone. <laughs> Ten years ago, she had lost it. And it turns out it had been in the pipes of the toilet. Um... The phone doesn't appear to be in working order, she said. The front glass is intact, but the rear has started to break away from the phone. Uh, she said she hasn't powered it on um, and maybe is afraid to. This is not the sort of thing where you can submerge it in rice and probably recover it. It's pretty much toast. But uh, isn't that amazing? Ten years later, she found her lost iPhone in the toilet. Nothing crazy. 
Uh, some of the other items from uh, today's broken news. Dateline Manassas, Virginia, where a gated community has some extra security uh, over the uh, had some extra security over the weekend when a naked man served as an unexpected roadblock. Uh, according to local news reports, authorities were called to the main entrance of a gated community in Manassas after getting a report of a naked man in the street. When they arrived, the officers had to stop traffic coming in both directions as they worked to get the man into custody. During the process, the suspect, identified only as a 27-year-old individual, kicked a deputy in the me- in the knee. Uh, the man was arrested and taken for a mental evaluation. So. <laughs> a little bit of unexpected excitement in that uh, gated community there. <laughs> Don't you, when you live in a gated community, isn't that why you go to a gated community to avoid uh, situations like that, isn't it? That- <laughs> you try to avoid things like that. <clears throat> this is a, a funny story. I saw the a picture of this uh, online uh, in uh, Irwindale, California. Uh, the uh, authorities discovered a boat anchored in a uh, in the wrong place. This was posted on Twitter by the Irwindale Police Department. Showed a boat on a street uh, tied to a no parking sign. <laughs> you got to tie up your boat. It tied it to a no parking sign. Authorities had some fun uh, with the uh, tweet captioning it. Ahoy, you can't park there. That's. But here's where it gets weird. It is unclear how the watercraft got there. It has since been removed. Sergeant Ru- uh, Rudy Gatto, spokesperson for the Irwindale Police Department, said that the boat's registration was four years old and it had not been reported stolen. Therefore, a notice will be sent uh, to the owner. Nobody knows exactly how it got there. If the owner put it there, if it was, <laughs> it was just found and somebody uh, tied it to the sign. I don't know. It's kind of weird. Just out of kind of random. Um, this was. I don't know if you uh, heard about this uh, during a viewing of the new Batman movie on Friday in Austin, Texas. Uh, the film was interrupted by a real-life bat inside the theater. Moviegoers say the movie had to be paused when staff realized the real bat was flying around while they, <laughs> they were trying to catch it. Well, you talk about realistic special effects right there. That's real bat in the uh, screening of the Batman. Uh, they were unsuccessful in rounding up the bat, ended up having to call animal control, the theater offered to give everyone a new ticket and cover uh, the uh, the tab for the for the movie, but people inside, um, most of them opted to stay and watch the film, even with a bat flying around. Again, it just added to the ambiance, I guess. I don't know that I would do that, but uh, uh, the whole story took a uh, turn for the worse when it was discovered that one of the patrons in the theater had uh, apparently released the bat in the movie theater as a prank. The uh, theater says they will be adding additional security to prevent something like this from happening again. And speaking of pranks, this from the International File, a group of funeral directors in London are now facing suspension after a video emerged of one of them standing over what appears to be uh, a body in in a body bag when one of his colleagues bursts out of the body bag and sits up while screaming, causing the victim to jump backwards in shock. 
The video was shot at one of the T. Crib and Sons funeral homes in Beckett, East London. John Harris, a senior partner of the firm, saw the video over the weekend and confirmed he has suspended some of his staff. Uh, many online commented that the prank was disrespectful in a funeral home. However, uh, fellow funeral directors chimed in saying, you know, people in our line of work need to unwind and relax, and it's pranks like this that keep our spirits up. So, <laughs> can you imagine <laughs> going in, you think you're just going to prepare a body for a funeral, and suddenly <laughs> somebody's in the body bag, sits up, and that would be the shock of uh, shock of your life, I would think. There you go. Uh, that is uh, today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. The pandemic outlook is improving across the country, and health officials are cautiously optimistic about the downward trend in Omicron cases. A number of states and large private businesses have announced a reduction or dropping of mitigation measures. We all share the same goal, to get to the point where COVID is no longer disrupting our daily lives. Here at WFIN, we'll continue continue to pass along the latest information so you can stay informed. 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. Today's daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. Very timely since uh, it seems like it costs a small fortune to fill up the gas tank uh, these days when uh, where you work can directly affect how much you make. And according to a new study, if you work in Mississippi, you make the least of any state in the union. According to data from the uh, job search company Lensa, the job search platform, workers in the Magnolia state have an average per capita income of forty two thousand one twenty nine. And uh, take in just $20.62 an hour as among all workers in Mississippi. By contrast, people in Connecticut have the highest per capita income of any of the 50 states, $78,609, with an average of $39.89 an hour. Massachusetts ranked second, $78,458 per capita annually and $39.71 an hour. New York ranked third, a salary of $74,472 annually, $37.49 an hour. New Jersey, fourth among highest paid workers in the states, making $73,460 a year, $36.60 an hour. And California placed fifth. On the list, I would have guessed that California would have been higher, but they are fifth at uh, earnings of seventy thousand one hundred ninety-two dollars per capita on average, and an average hourly wage of thirty-five thirty-four. Now, of course, the top five, all of the top five earning states, are also some of the most expensive states to live. Uh, on the other side of the coin, no pun intended, West Virginia has the second lowest paid workers in America pulling in an average per capita salary of 44,994 and 2202 an hour on average. Uh, some other findings from this study, Alaskans work the most hours in the country, an average of 41 hours per week and of the 35 countries internationally that they studied, Mexico has the most underpaid workers pulling in just $7 and 64 cents an hour on average. And again, that's across all professions. I mean, there are some 
uh, high earners in Mexico, but a lot more very poor people dragging that average way down. Well, did you know March is Frozen Food Month? And with so many people having rediscovered their kitchen during the pandemic, frozen foods are hotter than ever, no pun intended. Sales uh, are up 21% and climbing. And joining us this morning to extol the benefits of frozen foods and what you can do with them in the kitchen is celebrity chef Jamie Gwen. Jamie, why is the frozen food aisle such a popular destination, especially among those, like we said, who have rediscovered their kitchen? Sure. Chris, I'm so glad to talk to you again. Thank you for having me back. Um, I think the innovation in the frozen food aisle has come so far that if you haven't browsed or perused lately, you really need to take a look, especially right now, because March is frozen food month, so the values are exceptional. Uh, but there's a great evolution in the frozen food aisle. It's not what you might think of back in the day of TV dinners. There's <laughs> tremendous variety. I know, we laugh, like if it comes in a tray, right? Yeah. But if you think about the convenience of it today... Uh, where you can cut down on your meal prep time, you can spend more time with your family. There's something for everyone, whether it's a diet choice or a lifestyle choice. Um, there really is always something new, and we've come a long way. There's something for everyone. I get asked very often as a professional chef, do you shop in the frozen food aisle? I sure do, um, and I have some recipes to share with you um, little later on. And I'll tell you, one of them comes entirely from the freezer. I'm very proud of it. Uh, So you you talk about, I was going to ask, you know, about these uh, food trends and what is driving that innovation that you talk about in uh, the frozen food industry. Sure. According to the National Frozen and Refrigerated Foods Association, what's driving that innovation is our, as a consumer, our dining habits and our health trends. So they're very much on point with the current trends. So if you're vegan or plant-based or gluten-free or organic, there is something for you in the freezer aisle. Um, There's also, what I think is fabulous, Chris, is there's a lot more ethnic influence than ever before Hmm. in the frozen food section. And I love that you can explore new flavors. I always aspire to introduce my son to new tastes. With the example, like, think about if you were going to make an Indian dish in particular that had 30 ingredients, you might not be, you know, so <laughs> propelled to do so. But, but if there's a specialty company that makes it, yeah. and because of the innovation and in flash freezing, you know the quality is there, why wouldn't you want to expose your family to new tastes? and flavors just that way yeah. from the frozen food aisle. Why yeah. not? And, and you touch on one of the myths of uh, frozen foods is that they are uh, not as healthy uh, as uh, the, the fresh. Uh, but again, that is a myth. It, it is. And I think that's one thing that we need to debunk. And that is the frozen food aisle can be very healthy. It's real food. It's just frozen. Mm. And it's the technology that's taken us so far, right? We have this, this concept called flash freezing. In the uh, frozen fruit world, it's called IQF, individually quick frozen. If you think about it, for frozen food, the raspberries, for instance, are picked at the peak of freshness. They are then flash frozen to lock in the nutrients and the benefits at a far 
uh, colder temp than your freezer would ever get, of course. And what you do is you create a food that stays fresher longer. You get a longer shelf life, Mm -hmm. but you ultimately get less waste too. And you're getting the best value at the market. And if you've ever bought fresh raspberries, we all have. They have like a, you know, three minute shelf life. <laughs> right. So you want to make and a that- great, you want to make a great smoothie, you use frozen raspberries. The same rule applies to the other frozen foods. I have chef friends and comrades who are um, developing dishes and recipes for big frozen food companies. They're doing it very proudly. These are famous chefs. Yeah, yeah it, you make a good point because that's a, a been another uh, ongoing concern is the amount of waste that we have uh, in our food system today yeah. and trying to cut that down to size. And yeah. uh, I, I like what you say. It's uh, healthy and convenient do not have to be mutually exclusive. Now you, uh, as you mentioned, have a, a few recipes uh, that uh, <laughs> folks yeah. can try. Give us uh, kind of an overview here. What you got? You got it. So th- I have a few more than a few, but these are my newest. They're posted, by the way, at easyhomemeals.com. Easyhomemeals.com. Uh, one of my favorites, well, of course, I start with breakfast. I make a sausage Benedict crisp, but don't be intimidated. There's no hollandaise. It's actually a southern inspired tomato gravy. Uh, but it's a testament to the fact that I always keep frozen sausage patties in my freezer. My son loves them. They could be pork, they could be turkey, they could be plant-based. That's the genius of the frozen food aisle, is that no matter how you eat, you're setting the trend and determining what is there. Mm -hmm. And I love that protein punch. You know, I go to my freezer for that. Uh, For lunch, I make panini waffle grilled cheese sandwiches, because the grilled cheese is great, but on a frozen waffle in your panini maker, where it gets all golden and crispy, it's better, let me tell you. Um, But my go-to dinner is something I call spaghetti squash, spaghetti, and meatballs. And this, too, my toddler son loves. It is entirely from Frozen. So you know when you've seen a chef make veggie spirals and you thought to yourself, well, I don't have the tool or I don't have the time. Right. You can buy veggie spirals in the freezer section. You've seen them in the bag. It's veggies, but spiralized for you. And then I quickly saute them in olive oil and garlic. And mm. then I nestle them on a plate with some tomato sauce and my favorite frozen gluten-free meatball. And it is entirely from the freezer and dinner is ready. And as you mentioned, uh, you've got those recipes online. We will link up to those so folks can uh, get all of the details, the ins and outs on how to uh, make those and, and other great meals. And also, before awesome. we let you go, uh, it says here in my notes uh, that you have information on how we can enter for a chance to win $10,000 for National Frozen Food Month. Yes, that's very important, by the way, because I am not eligible to win, so you have to win. $10,000 up for grabs for Frozen Food Month, uh, free to enter and win. Go to easyhomemeals.com. We are celebrating, no doubt. We, as we said, we'll link that up on our webpage, so check that out. Celebrity Chef Jamie Gwen for Frozen Food Month with us this morning. Jamie, thanks very much. Thank you so much, Chris. Be well. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, of course, and that is goodmornings.net. And also connect with us on social media. Uh, shoot us an email if there's something you want to share with us directly. There's a link on our webpage. Sign up for our daily email newsletter and more. Goodmornings.net is our little corner of the World Wide Web. 
Until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.